0: Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 4, titled The Pretend War. Uh,
1: Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, It's another good episode. Um, They're doing some of the things I've been wondering to see, wanting to see them do, like have Josto be kind of a credible threat. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought uh, Lloyd Cannon got to be kind of convincingly tough, but still... There's still maybe a little bit too much twinkle in, in, in Chris Rock's eye. But on the other hand, no, the think time, so? well, not with the rabbi Mulligan, but like with the Thurman, but that was, I think supposed to be a comic scene. Um, and, and we have, uh, some, uh, some, uh, some, some paranormal. The paranormal has visited Fargo in season four, like it sometimes does. Like it's a little, little fucked up fairy, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get to talking about. Um, that kind of took me by surprise to have something cause, cause like when Fargo is blessed with the supernatural, um, it usually it arrives re- late in the season, like th- this kind of stuff. And, and I don't know yeah. whether it's just like, Hey, you know, you're taking advantage of the Halloween release schedule or what, but, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, I feel like at this point it's, it's entirely in the wheelhouse and there's a couple of different ways they could go with it. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I like this
0: episode. I think actually uh you know we've I've complained over the past couple of episodes a little bit lightly about um how Jason Schwartzman and and uh Chris Rock were maybe being a little too comedic for the roles, uh, maybe not up to uh, specifically Chris Rock maybe not up to the dramatic uh weight of the role. Uh but this episode sure. I was pleasantly surprised. I I I feel like there were a couple of good scenes, you know, when he he talks to a Rabbi when um, like you mentioned, he talks to the Smutney guy. I-, I think both of those were very effective in making him uh, more of a a serious man, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it did, you know, not in that way, but uh, yeah, I I don't know that this did a lot for my the the taste in my mouth that I had for Fargo.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, and then yeah, I- I'm curious to to hear what you dug up about the supernatural stuff because I know you looked at that and I've I've got something cooking about the American values and, and immigrants and Italians and I I don't know exactly where that's going, but uh and oranges. Like a tasty,
1: tasty stew. Oh yeah. The new new uh Irish Italian black stew. It's fusion. It's a fusion, sure. yeah, it's a fusion for sure. Yeah. It's 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 an it's the hot new restaurant chain <laughs> taking over the country. Yeah. <laughs> Just open up a, a chain of
0: yeah fargos <laughs> across the nation.
1: Yeah, it's a ta- it's Italian Jewish soul food. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's just called Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> uh so where do you want to start with this episode? Uh, I kind of got things divided into different categories of business. What I'm calling it: canon business, fada business, police okay. business, and I feel like the the one to start with is the canon business that we're seeing this episode. Can, can you uh, do that? Start without also getting into the fada business? Like, th- there's a lot of overlap there. I guess there is a lot of overlap, but I feel like I've got it the, uh, split up to where they kind of like hand off the one to the other. But we'll see how it goes. Um, I want to start with the 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 orange the orange truck yeah rolling down the road um you know i i thought this this opening scene that has all these different like pastiches of things happening i, I love the way they're using the divided frames i love how you know s- stylish and visual the storytelling is is enabled there cuz you just really get kind of like this uh slice of life this intensity of like you know the doctor Dr. Senator, like getting things set up and, and Lloyd Cannon kind of fretting about the operation and, you know, Satchel and Mulligan, you know, chilling out in their beds blissfully unaware of what's all going on. Um, I thought that stuff was really cool and it all kind of, it all kind of comes back to the apple truck, right? Um, Calamita. So I looked up that, I looked up this, the, the meaning of this name in Italian and like it means magnet, but also has secondary meanings of a calamity, disaster, misfortune and scourge which you know I don't, you can almost hear a calamita calamity right sure yeah uh is there something to the fact that trouble seems to stick to this guy and find him like a magnet maybe um it, it definitely well, everything he's in, involved in ends up like you know upside down yeah uh
0: it could. It it sort of um brushes up against the, the this orange theory stuff, uh that you know. Eh, okay, maybe we should spell this out a little bit for people. Like if you don't know orange let's talk
1: orange theory.
0: Yeah. Um oranges are a a symbol uh in the Godfather movies. Typically that means there there is doom or death around a particular event or character. Um uh, when you see an orange like uh, famously Don Vito dies with an orange in his hand. Uh, uh, Michael, Michael also dies um, with an orange in his hand at the end of Godfather three. So like that there, and there are many, many instances. It's not just the, the two deaths. It's, you know, Sonny. uh, I I think when he dies, there's there's a billboard with an orange juice ad on it uh, right before he's he's gunned about that
1: one. Yeah, there's just a ton of instances, like 50 of them or something. I don't know, there's a lots of homages to that. Like, there's an orange theory, you know, Ted got a bowl of oranges spilled over him in Breaking Bad when he got assaulted by, well, accidentally assaulted, I guess, by uh, <laughs> Huel and his associates, Red. Yeah. Uh, this, 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 it's this idea of there being the citrus fruit connected to, like, things going bad in gang movies mm. is you know it's like the orange anytime you see orange in a gangster movie and or gang related it's it's suspect orange is sus yeah and and there's a whole truckload uh, of them here Whole truckload, and uh, and not, not just that, but Loy Cannon later brings these oin- or- oranges. These oranges! He brings these oranges, you see? He brings these oranges into his home and starts peeling them and providing them to his family. Mm-hmm. So, like, to the extent that these oranges are <laughs> a menace uh, to gangsters, he's fucking mainlining that vitamin C right right into his veins. So that, that could sure. be some interesting foreshadowing.
0: And I was doing a little bit of reading about... Um- this theory. Cause obviously I saw the origins. I was like, Oh, I got to get into this. Um, and I read an article by somebody who was, because a lot of people, you know, think of the Godfather as a story of American violence. Um, a story of like the, the things that, that people find when they immigrate to America. Uh, but this article was, was, or this, you know, editorial, I guess was talking about how perhaps there's also an element of what people bring with them. Um, when they get there and oh. you know the oranges could be a representative of that because it's obviously you know a Mediterranean fruit um, that that comes from that area so it, it's interesting I think when you look at it in terms of this the story that uh, what's this
1: what's his name I don't even know his name Uh, the guy who talks to Dr. Senator in in spuds Oh the the Thadis consigliere I I haven't figured out his name yet either.
0: Yeah. Um he he tells a story about how he came to America and he heard this phrase American values and he he couldn't he didn't understand what it meant. He still doesn't really understand what it means. Um other than to say that people say they're one thing and they're they actually are a different thing. Um and it, it, that idea that like he would come here and bring with him some some you know ideals that Aren't, aren't really compatible with the American values, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of is could be reflected in the oranges. Um, they're, they're bringing these things over that make them, uh, you know, come into conflict with the Irish and the Jewish and the blacks. Like, all, all of these people um, are bringing their own things that are kind of clashing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe you could take that ingredient uh, the oranges, the whatever ingredients everybody's bringing and create a Tasty Stew and open a Fargo, uh, a chain of Fargos across the nation. But, th- but there's a lot of work involved in that, right? There's sure just like trying to get all that to match up takes a lot of effort. Um, and it still feels like we're
1: nowhere near getting that to work here. I like that. I like that because, you know, because, um, you yeah, a lot of people it sure, certainly godfather is a mafia movie but it is also explicitly an immigrant's tale yeah like you know especially if you ever see the saga edition it all starts with Vito as a little boy alone coming over getting separated quarantined ellis island it's it's like the quintessential uh migrant story yeah um and then if you take that and you look at the ghost story that they're telling here
0: um you know the haunting of this house they they specifically mentioned last episode how Houses aren't haunted, you know, the the people that inhabit them are haunted. Um, the ghost is following the smutnies, right? Their family. Um, and if you kind of look at that from the same angle, well, the the ghosts of these immigrants are following them across the ocean to America, um, mm. where, you know, the the things that made them who they are back in the old world are also affecting them here in the new world. And no matter where they go, no matter what house they move into... That will be true. And I I don't know if they're trying to get at that stuff or it's just a coincidence um, of the thematic stuff they're doing, but I I couldn't help but notice.
1: No, that's really cool. Um, What did you think of the heist itself? Because, like, I, you know, it's, I thought it was really cool the touch of like sticking the gun barrel into the flames and burning out, like, you know, marking him with some kind of sign. Uh huh. I thought that uh that stuff was all cool but like it also a lot of this stuff doesn't make literal sense like <laughs> when the ring of fire in front of like it was just like clear it's like a 3 foot wall of fire I'm like just fucking drive through it man right Right. And then when they the 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 ring fully envelops them and then suddenly Loy's dudes are there, the Cannon Gang is there. I'm like, "Well, shit, you apparently you just walk through this stuff." Uh-huh. And you can certainly drive through it, so it's like uh And then I, another I, guy I gets did. pushed into it and and he immediately
0: goes up in flames. Immediately yeah. goes up in flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it raises uh, questions. It's a little
1: strange.
0: Um almost supernatural in a way.
1: Uh but- Yeah. Yeah, like a, like going back to like Daniel, the, his companions uh, in the uh, no, was it Daniel? No, it was those other Jewish gentlemen in Babylonian captivity? Uh, Shadrach, Neshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those guys? Like, they got I thrown into the names. A, lions, thrown Pit? into a burning furnace. Uh, no, that's Daniel. They got thrown um, into a, a burning furnace. Okay. And uh, they were able to walk around unharmed because they were righteous. him um, gotcha. and and God protected from judgment. They, I mean, I don't know. Like I I threw I just pulled that out of my Bible studies, uh, Bible school studies. But shit, there's so much Christian allegory that kind of gets woven in and out of the Coen brothers' work and and uh, uh, and and this season of Fargo. Not not just. I mean, obviously, there's like they're borrowing borrowing from all kinds of religious tradition. Yeah, but um. No, I, I thought that was, that was interesting. Do you, th- I mean, do you, it, they kind of imply that they were supposed to kill, uh, uh, Calamita? um, or at least I got that impri- a, a impression when in the next scene that you allude to where Dr. Senator's like, you know, given the, uh, Fada's consigliere a, a verbal tongue lashing about like, in my opinion, you're lucky that the, your other man didn't die and he gives a significant look over to like, is it Otis or, um, Odom maybe, um, do you, do you think that that was supposed because i might match my thoughts like why don't you just do the hit no survivors well i don't i don't think
0: they want to escalate to a war here right they want to i, I feel like you know this is the pretend maybe the pretend war this this guy whatever consigliere thinks uh is happening right. here but but they yeah. don't want to start this war you know they're they're right. feeling feeling the italians out and and Trying to see, OK, did they mean to, you know, for this hit to go off? Is there, you know, conflict within their ranks? What's happening? So I don't think he was supposed to die. Um,
1: hmm. I think you're I mean, I, I think you're right, because like, I guess the, the 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 driver's just some boy or mm-hmm. this guy's a made man, you know, like maybe that's a distinction to make there. Um Yeah. But I don't know, I've got the feeling that, like, Loy's guy just made an audible and decided to scar the guy rather than blow his head off. Um, yeah, I mean, that definitely wasn't part of the plan, but I liked
0: it. You know, it's he's got this perfectly manicured guy here, and now he's going to put a big
1: uh, O yeah, on his face. It's it's amazing how they're able to convey what how how important this guy's physical appearance was to him in just, like, yeah. a couple of seconds of scenes last last week. So you can get that this is going to be, you know, a major, a major deal. And then we Mm -hmm. get the Fargo theme, which we haven't heard for a couple episodes. A lot of people were missing, but we got the classic Fargo theme over to Fargo, the lettering, uh, which I enjoyed the open and the close. um, It's over the closing credits, too. Yeah, just something I don't know, because like, you know, uh, every season of Fargo has kind of its own thing going on musically. Um, I think the first season was probably more, ex- most explicitly Fargo-y in the theme, but like, uh, this is a very different year, but like, I like those majestic sweeping Fargo notes when they, when they enter into the story. Uh, we already kind of talked about the Dr. Senator Consigliere breakfast round two, um, hmm uh but i i thought it's still a great speech about like you know um uh, this guy being confused there's so many things new about america and you, you know you talk about american values like what are those comparison to you know financial values like what's something worth that's something you can drive out empirically human values you know people are sentimental they love things that stuff makes sense but uh mm-hmm. then the idea of like america being home of the brave land of the free and how that's you know, lip service, marketing material that we don't actually live by. And if I, you know, um, I think that's fairly accurate. You know, mm-hmm. uh, America is something America, the, the va- American values are something that we uh, occasionally aspire to or we are certainly, you know, um, encourage the, that that the belief in a popular culture. But like, you know, it's like my man Dan Carlin often says, like, you got American values and American interests, and when the values are not aligned with the interests, the values go out the window um yeah. and uh you know i and if you if you if that makes you angry or whatever on well, the fuck get off your ass work to 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 make uh, the country <laughs> match its marketing materials what I got to say, but sure, um, I love this story yeah. table every every time I see the story table, I'm like, okay, yeah, they, yeah built I'm this- starting to really like the what's this what's this place name spuds Spud's. uh all-time diner Hmm. um it's 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 a great location good stuff is happening um and then this idea like this like they introduced this idea of a proxy war last episode and i wonder if they lean into that too Hmm. you know like like uh you know the concept of proxy war and how that applies to like you know um geopolitics in the 21st century like it's no longer like proxy wars in a shooting sense. It's more of like cyber warfare and economic warfare, it seems like, is the uh the bullets of the day. But uh I, I, I also
0: really like the choreography in this scene. Just the the it's almost a dance the way they're doing it, right? The the Italians roll up outside. You got mm-hmm. uh, the guys in the diner, the black guys in the diner who stand up and kind of, you know, head toward the door and block the way, and they let one guy through but not the the underlings you know and and when he goes and he puts on his hat to leave and and reaches you know kind of over in his pocket to put some coins down uh they they're they're back up they're around him they're ready like
1: mm-hmm.
0: everything is so planned out you can see all the the gears in motion here and it
1: it's so cool it felt like proceedings at a royal court, which is gonna dovetail nicely into the next scene. Um but I I also just love this Dr. Senator, like the way his eye yeah. twitches when the Italian the Italian consigliere asks him, like, are we at war or not? And he's like, Well, not yet, but we trying real hard. The way his <laughs> eye twitches when he's when in between saying those two things, I think is so fucking great. Yeah. Um and then yeah, this is like a bad look for the Fada gang. The fact that they're house divided and you know you also have this other random uh but but you mentioning like uh those guys standing and like challenging it reminded me a lot of, uh, of um you know like the guards of a king's court it's like they got the axes crossed they bear entry and yeah. then the next scene when the oranges are coming in loy Cannon's place they're playing the drummer boy which i thought was a really great call because it reinforces the christmas theme of the episode uh, of this i guess season um and also the Purumpum Pum Pum is like a nice little automatopoeia for like, you know, military rifles, pop, 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 pop. Mm-hmm. And these gifts we bring to lay before the king, like make an explicit connection to uh, cannons royal status. I thought all those things kind of like work together in and a nice little visual storytelling. Yeah. Um did you get so so we have three hundred guns coming from New York. Um it's very clear to me that Gaetano is the one that ordered this right
0: sure. i mean it's his guys essentially um it's you
1: know were bringing and, him in, yeah
0: and some other dude who we've probably seen in his circles but yeah they're bringing him in so i assume it's it's gatano
1: doing it yeah there's a full-on shadow organization going on here in the Fata gang and uh i thought that was interesting that mort kellerman was name checked do you remember this guy I didn't, but I saw in uh, Alan Sepinwall's review who he is. Um, and then he's been in one of the flashbacks
0: in season two.
1: Yeah, so season two, you had the Gerhardt clan as the main, the primary gang. Um, which is interesting because they had a fish out of water character, the Hansi. You mm-hmm. know, and, and and as one of their enforcers in the gang. And you had, uh, uh, you know, Dieter... Gerhardt was kind of like rivals, but also, you know, associates of this uh, Mort Kellerman, and they'd gotten along very well. And sometime in the early 50s, or no, I th- was it early 50s or late 40s? Um, uh, no, yeah, it was early 50s. Mort Kellerman decided to deliquidate um, Dieter Gerhardt and then freeze out the Gerhardt clan. And then uh, Otto, which was the, the the father of the two main gangsters, uh, uh, Dodd and Bear, goes to have an audience with him when he's watching some Ronald Reagan film in a movie theater and he has his younger son murder him while he's distracting him. Yeah, um, which it
0: feels very Godfather as well.
1: Very Godfather and there's also an element of like butterflies flapping their wings in China causing a hurricane in New York City because... It's entirely possible that if Loy Cannon doesn't give Mort Kellerman these 200 military rifles, that that's what what causes the gang battle. Like, less than a year later, he's going to kill his chief rival, and less than a year after that, he's going to be murdered in this theater. Yeah. It's like weird kind of like you know that that's i feel like they're doing they are doing something with this proxy war unintended consequences um short-term political interest versus long-term you know peace and stability kind of things i i thought it's 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 really interesting
0: i expect it not to be like explicit though i expect it to be all just implied and like subtext yeah subtext yeah
1: Sure. I also love I thought I thought, uh, you know, we're, I'm looking for ways for, um, you know, Chris Rock to, like, impress me as a gangster mastermind. And I liked how he quickly d- determines the truth of, you know, because Dr. S- the Senator's trying to sell him on like, hey, you know, it could be the Italians, you know, like Italians, what we know, uh, they're really prejudiced to everyone who's not Italian. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the fact that they would use and they also um, um has core values of machismo would it be fair to say like they're yeah. probably that the idea that they would hire a half black half indian gang of of women to stick this place up like like loy said uh well, they could have done it to throw themselves off he's like nah nobody's stupid and smart at the same time <sighs> this this here just crime i'm Got not two sure he's right about that I'm not sure that's a truism. Uh, it might or... not be true about Fadas because you literally might have a smart one. Well, I don't know. You might have two idiots over there. Um, hey, yeah, you might. I don't know what Josto's deal is, but but you could have a person being smart and dumb at the same time if you had an organization as being t- you know tug of war between yeah. two characters. Um, not that I think Josto has has been portrayed as smart so far not really but i like that i thought that like he was very cool the way he just kind of like intellectually dissected all that and kind of came to the correct conclusion that we just got we got two rando bonnies Mm -hmm. um which i thought was cool um and then the last bit of uh canon business is then deciding to press up the rabbi yeah and you know uh what do you think about was loy a credible threat that he was he pretty menacing with that knife
0: absolutely i thought so um yeah. Chris Rock was everything he needed to be in this
1: scene. Uh dead, and dead I, I was impressed. Tough. Um what do you uh what what do you think of this scene is from the rabbi's perspective? Um because he mentions it's like, you know, you killed your own family. This isn't your family. And he makes fun of him like daddy daddy. And at one point Rabbi holds his hand, his hand, the back of his hand against like Loy's face and says mom was he like making a joke about you're not my family neither was that what the maybe I I'm not certain but you could be right I I was a little confused by that scene I honestly was too I, I I know it tracks back with what Loy said about you know oh daddy daddy and he's like mom like I I and I think it's something about like the fact that it's completely futile to say these people aren't your family when you're even more so not my family yeah um but yeah, I don't know. They he, he gave he gave him a little warning cut and says anything that happens with my boy, uh, I'm gonna feed you to the pigs. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, uh, I, I I've seen uh, snatched. I know how that goes. Yeah, uh, no, I don't I don't know what um, full grown pig can go through a man's bones like butter. Hell yeah, yeah.
0: They, pig, they, teeth and hair, they will eat it all. They love it. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, this is the you know the predicament the rabbi's in. He's in this rock and hard place situation, right? And and I'm not even sure how he feels about it exactly. I don't know that they've quite done enough to tell me, is he loyal to the Italian family, uh, to the Fadas, or is he just a victim of circumstance, right? Like, he was a boy when he helped them kill the Irish, uh, kill his family, yeah. Uh, right. And I don't know how much of that was just him being a, a boy who you know, had some mixed up ideas in his head and how much that has changed as he's become a man um, or if that has changed. They, they, man, I just, I just really want a scene
1: which kind of spells it out. Um, that- So have you seen the speculation based on his mugshot in the first episode where um, it has his first arrest record back in 1914? No. His charges are buggery and perversion. 1914? How old is Rabbi? No, no, no. I'm sorry. This is his dad. Oh, okay, O-Mulligan, okay. Or Oni Mulligan. Okay, that makes that, a lot sorry. more sense. There's this theory that um, that this guy's a pervert and he's a kid diddler, and that the reason the rabbi betrayed him is because he was trying to protect his younger brother from from this. Huh. And I guess it's the the hostage as well. You know. Okay. Um, but I don't know that's like that's just essentially like well why would a guy turn against his father and also like why in a mugshot would you put buggery and perversion you know i mean that, that's like also 1914 he the dude could just be gay he could just be a closeted gay man yeah and the police put him on that and now we're like now we're doing the ancient gay slur of oh my god they're fucking pedophiles so like right. I'm I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on that, but I did want to put it out because I, I saw a lot of people were, were speculating about it, at least on on Reddit, and it would make perfect sense. Like if that was what his dad was getting, getting business, he's getting up to like that. That explains a lot. That explains yeah. a lot of like retribution and anger and shame and all kinds of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to move on the Fada business, which you know, as you said, it's it's interleaved with the the Canon business. So a lot of this is going to be kind of just connective material, but the most the first thing is like Rabbi, like the good boy he is, went right to Josto and said, "Look, I, just, you know, hey, if I made the wrong call, fuck me, I'll take risky. the consequences." Yeah, but the dude's loyal. The dude's mm-hmm. the the dude's loyal and honest, and like think Josto's smart enough to see that, but not smart enough to like maybe treat him, can you know, like that. Yeah, I- I, Josto's. You know, he's got uh, <laughs> some.
0: I, I don't know. He he seems like a small man trying to prove that he's not. Uh, in a lot of ways,
1: right? Um, yeah, and and those guys can still do a lot of damage. You can still blow your nuts. Those guys can blow your nuts absolutely. off. But there, there is something ch- utterly childish in the way he's like throwing snowballs out of anger in this scene. Uh huh. And, and then and yeah. then then eating then half then then like cry, then starting to eat the snow. It's like I fucking love up. it. It's hilarious. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman does Schwartzman. a great
0: job in this scene. Uh, it doesn't doesn't help me take him
1: more seriously, <laughs> but it does entertain the hell out of me. Yeah, he is—he is a little bit ridiculous. Uh, So his new mission is to be a bird on the wire. He wants this guy to watch. uh, This—this is a dangerous mission Mm -hmm. to send the rabbi on because these guys. It seems like Gaetano and his crew are already prone to suspect the The Irish uh, Jewish gentleman amongst them, the oh, one who's the not guy that an stopped Italian. the last hit that they tried to pull off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the one who's yeah, not yeah, not just the fact that his blood didn't flow from it uh, from Sicily, but like holy shit, the guy guy actually uh, went against, but not the family went against the Gaetano faction, which is going to be interesting. Yeah, so. Josto didn't really uh, impress us much in this, this episode until we get to him busting up Gaetano's war council in the mm-hmm. billiards parlor. Um, and he just starts shooting the place up, just like winging bullets over Gaetano's head. And then Gaetano tries to flex on him, and he says, you know, they stole from us, they killed our men, they laugh at us because we're weak, and Josto says, well, we are weak because you're weak, because you fucked up a hit, and now our enemy has 300 guns, genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've already gone, apparently gone to New York and arranged all this shit, so, like, it's put me in a weird position of being able to, you know, negotiate, maneuver myself. Who wins this confrontation? Because... Justo. Like, yeah, I mean, I thought so, too. Why why do you say so?
0: Because he... (laughs) He almost literally emasculates uh, Gaetano in this scene. I mean, the bang at the end, when he says bang, he's saying...
1: I just, I just made you my bitch, essentially. Yeah, I love that. Like I, you know, like I didn't have to physically do it, but I just literally cut your balls off in front of your dudes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's no doubt so in my mind that he would have pulled that trigger. Like he's got yeah. the capacity for for violence. Um, he is ballsy, the same way he he kind of told off the 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 alderman or councilman or whatever. Like I'm gonna slow pump babies and like <laughs> yeah. he he has no problem. You know, having that kind of like Joe Pesci mouth in, in Goodfellas, like he 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 does carry it off somewhat. And you know, he does. Weapons, guns are the great equalizer. So,
0: yeah, uh, no, I, I like the scene a lot. I I think it's not over. Obviously, like the next stage of this is going to kick in. Gaetano's is not going to back down. He did in this scene, but a longer term, he's going to come back probably even harder than he did before.
1: I don't I don't know where this goes, but it's intensely exciting. The problem is, though, from what my estimation is, Gaetano has no muscle, um, with the exception of Calamita. Yeah, and that guy, uh, you know, Cannon's crew calls him all bark, no bite. Uh, he fucked up the hit. He wasn't going to shoot the guy himself. Like, does Gaetano's ferocious, but like, he's got two guys who are milk toast and afraid of him, and probably prone to betraying him for that reason. Um, mm. because Josto's kind of crazy, but not this like bug eyed, like going to maybe just pull a gun and shoot you, maybe pull a knife and skin. You kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, who's he got other than he does have some muscle in New York. That's willing to, the, to send him 300 guns just on a, a wink and a promise, I guess. Sure. Um, and then finally, in the last bit of official weff business or not weff business, Fada business. Uh, he calls weff to his, uh, uh, to the department store. Uh, that he owns and does all of his operation out of the, the pud pulling center of uh, the town mm-hmm. of Kansas City. And he tell he gives these guys consigliere there and he's got uh, Weff. And he tells Weff that you got to start busting cannon heads. You got to go out there and start ripping and rolling on street corners. You got to start hassling him. You got to make sure that they know it's a war against us and City Hall. Yeah. It's, it's a problem for Weff. Because <laughs> he's got Duffies. a hard ass Mormon... Deafy, yeah. uh, 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 not hearing what he doesn't want to hear. U.S. Marshal up his ass, and mm-hmm. then he gives the Consigliere like a a, a schizophrenic mission, like, "Hey, yeah. go to New York, tell everything's fine." But also, hey, if you got some guys to spare, like, and then the Consigliere points him points it out, and he blows up at him. Yeah. So I, I don't know what to make of this Fata crew. They they seem very just they're going to get their lunch eaten by the cannon gang. And I'm kind of, I was already coming into the, you know, just kind of rooting for cannon and for whatever reason. And now I just think that they're going to get, they're going to get ran off the, the map.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about the schizophrenic mission. It's, it's not even just that he's going there asking for a few guys because, you know, this, this thing is going poorly, but also not being able to tell them that, uh, it's that 300 guns were just ordered from New York as well. Right. What does that look like in context, right? If you're going there asking for a few guys to wield the three hundred guns you've just ordered.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, we'll Gaetano put them in a bad thought,
0: situation too.
1: We just we get you the heavy hardware. Well how, you know, how's that going? Oh, you know, it's going all right. Yeah, it's just yeah, you know, we get the, yeah. got three hundred guns and I've got three don't three hundred guys, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a hard sell. Yeah. It's like take the three hundred guns, get the money, then get the money. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I it's and I don't I would hate to be I, I'm wondering if we'll get a little like uh, Tom Hagen goes to LA negotiate I would love to see the like New York guys and yeah. the w- how they treat the Midwestern dudes and like I, I think that would be fascinating to see kind of like where did the fattest stand the fadest stand in in the overall mafia hierarchy yeah I gotta think in 1950s like Kansas City is like the jerk off league, right Oh for sure
0: it's it's New
1: York. Is the, yeah, like, the epicenter like uh, according to Casino? Like later on, when the gang, when when organized crime gets run out of the East Coast, like that becomes like the stronghold. The you know, like the the monitoring of all the the mafia shit going down in Vegas, all that kind of stuff. But like this is not then. This is the height yeah. of the Five Families business. So yeah, um, I want to move on to Nurse Mayflower business. Okay, she's got a lot of business this episode. She's given she's we we start off her giving Josto the business. Uh, <laughs> We sure do. Uh, get, getting the old, uh, you, you know, we we had the tu- the the pud pulling last episode. Now we got the full choke slam.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Josto doesn't even know what hit him. He's just like, "What even was that?" It's- yeah, she just lays a stone cold stunner on him. He doesn't know what to. He doesn't know what to do about it. Um- and I
0: love how they go from that to. Something about how crass or or vulgar he's being, or something. Right after yeah. that, she chastises him for it. I'm like, we f- we fly elevated in this house, Jim. D- sure, sure. <laughs> if by
1: elevated you mean the high you get when the oxygen is cut off to your brain. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right at the right at the moment of uh, climax. Uh-huh. Uh, there's also like this, like yeah, she's got this really like twisted and you know of Green Gables notion of romanticism uh cuz she's hmm. she's just a fucking contradiction of of these like vulgarities and profanities and yet like these high-minded ideals as far as like speech and action she seems like she's a social a bit of a social climber she's talking about reading about Istanbul and the and Egyptian history um there's also a little nice nod between pretend things because you know they get in there they t- t- she said uh, she thought Istanbul's were casablanca is filmed then mm. he's like yeah. nah casablanca is filmed in casablanca which i that's not even doesn't even mean anything like yeah. if it was going to be filmed on location it'd be in morocco no but I, i'm sure you saw this uh that like the entirety of casablanca was filmed in burbank california yeah I'm it's sad. all yeah it's all bullshit it's all bullshit all the way down yeah. um so I, I thought that was pretty interesting um but uh you know, and he also mentions that, like, uh, you know, he has to be a tough guy. You know, like, I sleep with one eye open with a razor blade between our teeth. And she points out, if you sleep with your mouth full of razors, you're going to cut your own throat. Yeah. I mean, those are portents, right, Jim? Oh,
0: Especially yeah. Especially when
1: you've got, you got this character associated with already kind of like a little bit of supernatural evil prophesying doom based on your own words. Like, this is, uh, yeah, this is some Hamlet type, type shit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's good writing, too. I love it. I love it. Um, so you've got the uh, Ethel Rita calls at the at the end of this, and and uh, Mayflower perceives as her running Josto off, which I think is you know her connection to something better. And she's briefly annoyed, but then she, Ethel Rita reminds her that she offered to pay her fifty cents to a dollar for organizing type work, and this is house cleaning. She goes in. Uh, Mayflower's house is a bit of a wreck lately. Um, which is wild because I feel like she'd have a lot of time on her hands, you know, in between jobs before, yeah. you know, she started with the new place. But um, she offers to the, the do three hours of labor for uh, a dollar. There's this mysterious side uh, closet that she's told to not worry about. Yeah. Uh,
0: ridiculous.
1: Well, and then as soon as you saw that, it's like, okay, well that's a big point of interest. A teenager is going to yeah. definitely get up in that business. Um, what, what, what do we find in the, the closet, Jim? Oh, we found, uh,
0: what the audience recognizes as evidence of a bunch of murders. And I think Ethel Rita also, uh, recognizes that it's, it's all the chemicals she uses to kill people in the hospitals. It's, uh, obituaries cut from newspapers and it's jewelry and knickknacks and trinkets from the, the people who, uh, were killed.
1: Yeah, it's trophies. Um, uh-huh. I have I did a little bit of research on this, like these man chows and by proxy kind of like angel of death things. And I guess that's w- often a lot of the, the times how they get caught, you know, not just like looking at their medical records, but because they just you know, first of all, like it's very hard to catch these people, especially back in the day. Like, you know, when medicine wasn't so good and people could just died of mysterious reasons and you didn't have like, you know, chemical analysis and autopsies, like you would just get away and get away and get away and start getting bolder and bolder. And, you know, she's got this big game trophy hunting room and Ethel Rita's smart enough to put two and two together. By the way, I love the pacing in this scene. Yeah. Like, you know, they really take you're just watching Ethel Rita fuck around in an apartment to like this, you know, uh, French, French music. Mm and it's very cultured and you can see Arthurita like dreaming of uh, you know it, it's kind of like remind me of Lloyd Cannon's speech about someone getting a dream like she's starting to she's starting to think better things for herself right and she finds this box um, but that added so much to the tension the fact that like you you don't know how far long Mayflower is going to be away Mm -hmm. Uh, like when she gets in this room, she kind of loses track. As you can see, like the record starts to script, this the the skip, and she doesn't know it. And I just started thinking, like, oh my god, the 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 cat's almost knocking shit over. Like I was on pins and needles for this whole scene.
0: And they they Uh, play
1: with what the audience knows and what Ethelreda knows, um, in any given moment
0: of this scene. Like when she walks in the closet and we see the epicac on the shelf, we're like, oh no, the jig is up. Uh, she's gonna know about the pie. But of course, she couldn't know about the pie, right? She hasn't she hasn't spoken to Swanee, who got sick from the pie yet, as far as we know. Uh, we, as an audience, know that the epicac is a problem, but she doesn't, and so she doesn't think anything of it when she sees it. And we, as an audience, also think we're we're so focused on the epicac that we don't necessarily see the other things that are going to be the big discoveries, right? The twist in the scene is not that she discovers the
1: epicac; it's she discovers murders. <laughs> Right, 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 right. And you can see others. There's like a bottle of laudanum, which is essentially uh, alcohol and opium. It's essentially liquid morphine um, and uh, some other like mineral oil, which I think is used to treat constipation. But if you gave like a healthy person, it would like, induce like diarrhea and all these others. Like, so, so these are the tools hmm. of her trade. Yeah. I've been wondering about this fodder ring. And the fact that like rita has got it now, there's going to that's that's going to be something. I so there are like two... it's weird that the Fadas aren't obsessed with it because like at some right, point right. they're going to have to yeah like like if this is as important as I think it is, and why isn't anyone mentioned it four episodes in? But like, yeah it's got to be important. I
0: thought it was important. Um, and here it's it's coming back, so it's probably going to be more important. There, there are two things that come out of this scene, right? She has the ring, and secondly, she leaves her journal in that closet. So obviously. You know she's gonna be
1: found out. Like her her oh, discoveries shit. are gonna be found out, right? Although I don't know, maybe she can go back and I wonder if there's gonna be a scene where she sneaks everything back. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know. She runs
1: out and they do a conspicuous close up of it. So probably not. Oh yeah. <laughs> Plus it's just um, although I, I, let's let's game this out. Um, she finds out that this teenager's been snooping. What does she do? Does she try to like kill her surreptitiously? or does she because like you know Probably. she can't very well be like god damn it you're stealing things from me i'm going to call the police because the police yeah. will come and you know I mean this, this is this <laughs> the problem writ large here or writ small here right
0: like the gangster uh, problem. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to call the cops uh, to help settle yeah. your
1: your scores? No. When, you, when when you're a criminal and you get robbed, if someone does, like, you are an outlaw. You're outside the protection of the legal system. So you either got to settle for yep. yourself you got to let it go.
0: Same with the Smutneys, right? Like, I, they went to the mm. black mafia to get their money. We're, we're going to talk about this later. But can mm. they go to the cops now that, you know, the jig is up on that? Who knows?
1: Yeah. Oof. Um. So let's move on to police business uh you we see that there's a night man that has been bribed to give false testimony about uh the uh uh swanee and zelmer uh running off to um yeah. chicago right i, I assume mean, it's pretty fucking what, it's a lame Otis scene yeah, Co- yeah coach the guy right yeah i mean he gives him like a 20 and and uh, but but this is just so fucking lame mm-hmm. it's painful to watch but that's kind like that's it's it's interesting because there is that element in Fargo right inept criminals yeah, absolutely contrasted yeah. to like very ruthlessly competent criminals so it's like yeah this all is the way all back just to the farce oh yeah oh yeah this is all this is all kind of like played as a farce and the mm. fact that like I don't know what to make about WEF because WEF is starting to seem like um the uh, William H. Macy uh, yep. police officers because it's one thing to try this lame thing. But then, when it blows up in your face to just like act as if it worked, that's where you start thinking <laughs> the guy's just not got it, man. Like, you take your shot, yeah. you miss your shot, and you're like, ah, you know what? I, this guy's usually reliable. Like, I did, maybe he's trying to grub money off of me. You, you pay it off, but he plays it off as like, well, I guess you're going to go pack off to, you know, Chicago, completely misunderstanding, first of all, how yeah. stupid this marshal is and what the U.S. Marshal Service is even about. Um, that's the thing. I, I don't, like
0: they 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 were making him out to be like this
1: really good detective
0: right and i think that's completely shown to be false at this point he's an incompetent bozo
1: or um, well, he's desperate he's good but he's 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 desperate cuz he doesn't have any good plays with this us marshal in town
0: well i mean so um, many of
1: the characters look, look at all the
0: characters they're all the these american values right they're saying what the one thing they're the mm. pretend war they're saying they're not at war and yet here they are doing the things that make them at war like uh the marshal Deffy is also that way right like he claims to be this law man who's uh upholding righteousness and justice and yet for the last couple of episodes every time we've had an interaction with him he's talking about how he doesn't like minorities um and and now he's how he's done this extra legal thing of essentially like dragging a bunch of Italians who came into the the Salt Lake City area uh until their heads popped off because they just didn't want him around. Right. It, it's he's not a good guy. Uh he's not looking out for justice. He's saying he is. He's wearing the uniform, but he's
1: not walking the walk. Yeah. And like, you know, that's the other question. Like were these Italian guys actually gangsters or were they just Italians? Yeah. Open question. Got, they got they got murdered out of prejudice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and prejudice, you know, prejudice police are are sloppy, lazy police too. Like they just make a they make sloppy assumptions. Um, that, yeah. that they get him into a lot of trouble. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch this guy dangling like a like because he's you know I I I, I question this episode back in the Fada business. Why didn't he tell Josto about this new threat? Like like hey, I want to help you as much as I can, but I have a U.S. marshal up my ass this is a whole other different league than this this small town kansas city bullshit right maybe because he didn't realize that it was because
0: in this scene like you pointed out he's doesn't even understand what a marshal is
1: you know hmm. yeah the fact that they're like a federal and it's possible and i also just wonder like what is his deal what is the five you know the little indians like what what is the what is his damage you know is this uh if he's got if he's just got ocd how did he be you know with was as much prejudice as people showing against this mental illness on the show like how did he get to be a detective mm-hmm. and if there's more to the story what is it like how is he this embedded in the system um there's got to be more to that story uh so like you know then you get the the rabbi coming and giving him the the hoodwink right in front of the U.S. Yes Marshal, and the thing is, is like Def is seeing all of this. Yeah. Like at this point, he's just like, you know what? Hey, look, this isn't my deal, but I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it my deal just a little bit. I mean,
0: he's following the Primrose path in hopes that it opens up to, I don't know, some sort
1: of uh, truth vineyard here, right? Like, right, right. And as a soldier of Christ, you know, he's uh, he's invested to root out corruption and evil anywhere. So mm. uh, but but I love them pulling up to Jopin's uh, uh, department store and you see Gatano come out like with his big ass fucking knife front and center, like almost in his dick position, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> right. Um, And he sees all this. This guy's got this storm cloud and he just decides he's going to get out and fuck with these guys. He doesn't identify himself as a marshal or a law no. enforcement He just, uh, you know, he's railing Givens and he can, he can put a plug in these guys anytime he wants. So he's got no fear. Um, Gaetano gives him the evil eye. Any, you know, we're going to talk about the supernatural here momentarily. Uh, anything to that?
0: Hmm. I hadn't thought about it other than that's what he does when he's about to kill somebody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, we already kind of talked about like him. He he reaches in his pocket, looks like he's pulling out his gun, and he just pulls out his handkerchief with carrots and starts talking about how the fact, you know, they ran the Italians out of their town. Yeah. Um, I'm, so I'm I, immensely enjoying uh, Timothy Elephant's performance here.
0: It's it's not yeah. quite like any of the other, you know, sheriff-style... No, uh, he's,
1: he's not a fully good guy. Like, Seth Bullock, right. Raylan Givens are, you know, they're not like paragons of virtue for ex- but but they are unambiguously good guys yeah you know this guy is not mm-hmm. he's like he's like the dark side Raylan givens but i i bring all i don't I, like i assume this guy's a, a a deft hand with a gun i don't know why i assume that i assume that because he is in all of his other characters right. so um are they going to play against type and he actually is is all bark and no, no bite. Maybe when somebody shows that little concern in what's clearly a confrontation,
0: I think they're immensely confident in their skills. and
1: yeah, yeah, th-
0: th- th- it's no different here,
1: yeah, or an ace bullshitter, but like it's hard to. Because these guys are dangerous guys, you know, like this guy's got a fucking shotgun barrel burnt onto his and, and you know, Gaetano just manifestly is like bad news. You just want to yeah. stay away from him and he just do- goes and gets up in their shit. Uh, I want to get spooky for a minute, Jim. I want to get I want to talk about the ghost story aspect of this um, episode. So in the very beginning, we talked about the different um, you can know, we kind of get his potpourri of all the different action from the characters. But we see Ethel Rita. Uh, doing homework apparently, or no? She's actually writing a letter. It looked like, hmm. which I'm wondering who she's writing to or, or what. But uh, we also see the body prep area of the morgue. It's this contrast between the upstairs life, which is all kind of wholesome and family oriented, versus the dark and dripping kind of dungeon esque morgue. And you see it and it's all shot like a horror film too, Mm -hmm. like all the point of view shots. And Altharita is here's this creaking outside of her door. She goes to look and there's this man sitting on the steps and it turns around. He's fucking cadaverous. He's missing his nose. His eyes are roomy. He looks like a fresh zombie off The Walking Dead. Yeah. She shuts her door. And like, you know, again, this is shot like something out of The Conjuring. She's like, you know, bracing her whole body against a terrified and then you hear what I think is the ghost get up and go downstairs, mm-hmm. and then that's that's it. There's no, Eltharita doesn't make anything of this. There's nothing else mentioned or said. Um, this could be a night terror. Who knows? And then Zalmer is literally laundering cash Walter White style <laughs> yeah. in in the bathtub of their little flop house. And Swanee starts stirring, and uh, Zalmer uh, goes to check on her and something in the tub gets up and rises and it's this faceless or this is noseless corpse, man. And it starts like something pulls the covers off of Swanee. It starts raining, I think blood or mud perhaps from the ceiling. Hmm. I couldn't tell exactly. It looked like it, it, it could be maybe old cadaverous blood or, or it's mud. Yeah. Um, and this man, like Zalmer shuts her eyes as this presence walks past, pauses by Swanee and then takes away. And then takes off, and Swanee's there, shivering and throwing up. And she she comforts her and says, "Don't mind, Mister Snowman." Also, in the first episode, remember we we remember that that the mysterious presence that we pan over on the street, and someone zoomed in on that, and it's a dead ringer for Mister Snowman. It wasn't mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant, as I surmised. It's this it's this ghostly corpse character. Yeah. This goes on to, like we talked about with Swanee's last episode where she talks about, you know, things that haunt are not, you know, they don't haunt places. They haunt people, that there's some evil followed the, you know, Smutney family or, or uh, Zalmer and the Debrils family from Mississippi. Is there a ghost in this season of Fargo? What is Fargo's tolerance for the supernatural? It certainly looks like it.
0: I I look at these two scenes and I say... Okay, one of these could very well be some kind of um, thematic, like an allegory sort of thing, where you've got this, you know, this specter of death sort of approaching uh, Swanee and she's already like feeling very bad. And then, you know, immediately after this happens, uh, Zalmayr goes over and rolls her over and has to shake her awake and thinks she's dead. Like, all of this could be figurative, right? um mm-hmm. with this this character uh this figure but then I, I look at the scene with ethel rita at the beginning and she's clearly affected by it what she's seeing there is something that she very much really sees and that scares the shit out of her uh conjuring style like you mentioned but then you're right it goes on to not mention any of that right she goes on with her day-to-day she doesn't mention it to her parents although they have talked about it um so maybe mm-hmm. it's it, it it could be you know the the seed of this was planted in her mind um, by Swanee and her story about the haunting, and so now she's just seeing things. Or it could be that mm-hmm. like she really saw something, and she just didn't bring it to her family because they already
1: know and they've already talked about it. I I don't know. It's it's muddy. I got the feeling that her her mom tries to keep this from Ethel Rita. Like yeah. hearing her aunt and uh, her aunt's lover talk about this is the first time. But, like I wanna go and review the supernatural in Fargo uh that we've seen thus far in season one, okay. we had the character of Lauren Malvo played by uh, Billy Bob Thornton. There was a theory that he was literally the devil himself because of um he was able to get in and out of situations like there was an instance with like the bathroom where like a light malfunction happened. he disappeared. He got out of a bat a basement with only one exit mm-hmm. uh undetected by the police. Uh, he was his instigator of evil. He could go up to these people who are normal and inspire them with like a touch or a word to commit insane acts of violence out of seemingly nowhere. Yeah. Um, he had a quote after eating a, a, a slice of apple pie, which is another interesting connection to Merce, uh, nurse Mayflower. He says, that's the best apple pie I've had since the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he uh, later on gets killed. And like those theories went by the wayside, but that's interesting. Also in that season, Lorne Malvo tries to convince a target of his uh, operations that he's going insane, and he does this by making him think that a biblical plague of uh, or, or bi- all the biblical plagues are um, go He he releases locusts in his th- store. He fucks with the plumbing in his house to make shower of blood. All this mm-hmm. kind of stuff happen. It culminates in a fish nato. Okay. A, a literal bi- a, 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 like a rain of, of fish and frogs and all this other kind of shit falling on the car causes a car wreck, um, which is is possible. We you know we we
0: looked this up. Uh, we went into great detail in the first season about this, but a fish NATO is this, possible. This can
1: it 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 can happen. It's very unlikely, yeah. and you know, but it, it can happen. In season two. As far as the paranormal, they a literal UFO shows up at the climax of the season, spoils a shootout, and has a profound effect on the plot. Comes out of nowhere, yeah. really. They kind of hint it, and there's like there's definite hints that there's like some paranormal shit happening, but then then in season three, and let's uh, let's
0: make note that you know aliens not necessarily supernatural
1: uh, in the sense that we're talking about, right? But but you, you definitely they fall under the paranormal. Like right, like, it, it, yes, abnormal outside, certainly. Yeah, outside of our current understanding of science and whatnot. And then For in sure. season three, you have the Paul Moraine character, who a lot of people theorized represents this uh, mythical character called the Wandering Jew, uh, which according to Wikipedia is this a supposedly mythical immortal man who wanders the world because you know he did some insult to Christ or he did some other thing that 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 made him be cursed. Uh, to to wander the earth um, and he pops up in season three a couple of times to give advice to characters but the most noticeable time he pops up is when uh, there's this incident with Nikki Swango and Mr. Wrench where they're in a prison bus and the Vargas criminal outfit uh, has this Yuri enforcer the guy that wears the wolf hat the wolf heads uh, to go and, and kill these guys on route to assassinate them on route to the prison they flip over the bus there's this fight Swango and Mr. Wrench flee through the woods. Uh, they're followed there by uh, Yuri and his gang with crossbows. Mr. Wrench takes a crossbow to the throat. Swango, I think, takes two crossbows to her thigh and to maybe her abdomen. And then there are uh, you know, they fight the attackers off. Um, Yuri is still alive. He loses his ear. Swango and Mr. Wrench stagger into the woods. They come across a clearing where this is brightly lit bowling alley in the middle of nowhere they go inside they meet this character paul moraine and he hands her a kitten called ray who i think they hint is the soul of her lover that just you know the other one of the ewan mcgregor brothers mm-hmm. um he he gives their he, he he says something that like mr wrench that they debated about keeping mr wrench here but he was able to talk the powers to be into letting him go because he's on a better path now he gives them a car and then tells them to go essentially fight evil Then Yuri stumbles in, who is a Russian Cossack. This is a lot of backstory. (laughs) But Yuri stumbles in, missing his ear to this bowling alley, and then gets this vision of these dead Russian Jews that were murdered in the 18th century. And the idea of the souls of these people that his ancestors murdered delivered judgment to him. Okay. Uh and then that's, you know, like that. So like is was this heaven? Was this all like were was was this all, you know, in, in Swango and Yuri and Wrench's head? I, I don't know. But the but but if you're new to Fargo, um, and maybe Cohen Brothers in general, films in general, because they like uh the Cohen Brothers shit all has this, you know, like UF unexplained UFO experiences, unstoppable supernatural evil forces, like that's in the Cohen palette. So is this an actual no shit ghost? Um, I would I I, I would say that you almost it, it, it couldn't be except for like the, the the UFO in season two that actually turned out to be a real thing. Right. Um, and, and like you mentioned,
0: it definitely affects the plot. Right. It's not something they're doing that's thematic. Um, it's yes. something that comes out of nowhere, uh, is semi supernatural and also blows the plot to pieces. Um, And it makes me wonder if they're going to be doing something later with the ghosts like that, or if they haven't already done that. Like I'm, I'm wondering about uh, Orietta at this point, like, is she perhaps one of these alien type things? And we've talked about, you know, her relation to Malvo and that she's kind of this agent of chaos, but it could be more than that, right? This could be part of the ghost that's haunting this family, because why is she making a pie for this family? filling it with Epicac trying to harass them and haunt them
1: uh if she doesn't have any connection to them oh god theory. Lorne Malvo bastard child of Josto uh Fada and Nurse Mayflower oh god (laughs) Um, with those, those, those evil apple pie connections. So here's the thing. I, I actually, I'm going to do a little bit of devil's advocate. I'm going to do a little bit of Lord Malvo advocacy here. Okay. Because I actually do think it's just, I think it's a ghost. Like you're right. The fact that two people see this, it's connection. It's, it's like this family haunting. It ties into what Swanee said last episode, but there's another interpretation we already have a character who has a severe mental illness in this, se- this season. You got this, you know, uh, uh, Weff has got at least OCD, probably a severe case of Tourette's to go along with it. He's just kind of like, you know, uh, a whole host of barely treated, barely under control things he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. A lot of times mental illnesses manifest themselves when you're in your late teens to early 20s. And I wonder, like, it's another way that a, a curse or a haunting could follow a bloodline or family, because we know that a lot of times mental illness or being prone to mental illnesses and addiction problems, that is somehow, in some way, heritable. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, like, this this, kind of hallucination, um, this kind of schizophrenia, they're, they're hinting... Because I, I get a little bit of some kind of manic energy from, honestly, both Swanee and uh, Zalmer. It could be just them, them being irrepressible bonnies running sure. around fucking shit up. And it's like, you know, but like there is there is something a little off kilter about Zalmer, I thought. Um, and I it would be it would be interesting, I think, to have this be not a literal haunting, but like some kind of like genetic mental illness runs in a family. You know, another, you know, but this is a this is a this is a meditation on privilege. In a lot of ways this season, you know what it means to be an American, what it means to be a good American, what it means to be white, um, you know, frustrations of women and, and, and versus men. Um, another privilege is whether you're, you know, like uh, whether you're mentally ill or not. That's a that's a roll of the dice. I think it'd be interesting sure. to, to take that I, I, to, to be clear. I, I do think it's a ghost. I think it's a real ghost, but it also could be, you know, exacerbated by an existing mental illness or developing one. That, uh, you know, Ethel Rita is, is perhaps starting to suffer from. So I just want to throw that yeah. out there. You could definitely do both. All right. So let's let's uh, swing around to uh, to deal with the last of the business, a short piece of business, a smutney business. Uh, Zalmera delivers a bunch of cash to Thurmond. You don't question the money fairy when it comes to deliver the cash. No, you always question the money fairy. <laughs> the money fairy yeah. always comes with strings, right? Yes. Yes, it does. When a, someone dumps you a bag of cash, unless you're already hip deep in a criminal enterprise, ask the questions, because uh, sure. you're almost almost certainly about to engage yourself into a criminal enterprise if you don't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I get the idea that the Mr. Smutney maybe is not the brains of the operation. Mm hmm. He might be like real crack at cadaver work and you know making up corpses and and glad handing. His most people. valuable asset is that he's white, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's
0: sad. It's unfortunate, but that's how it is in this show. Uh right. and in he's this country. the face.
1: He's the face. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that so there. There's also. Um, You know, this this idea that uh, uh, Zalmera and uh, Swanee are going to be in town for another couple of days. And she tells them where they're staying at, which is probably going to propel the action in the next in the next few episodes. Uh, But you got, um, you know, Loy peeling oranges, which, as we know, is one of the most dangerous things you can do in a gangster film. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking, contemplating when there's a white man coming to his door, answers it with a shotgun, says, you got 30 seconds convince me not to shoot. Invites him in, you know, Smutney says, hey, uh Thurman says, hey, I got I got this uh Uncle Bully. He died, left me all this money. And it's I actually thought this is a, a good use of Chris Rock's comic timing in almost exactly the same way that Timothy Oliphant used his a few episodes, where he just like stares down someone telling him this improbable story. It's like, okay, all right, well, thanks for paying off your debts. Then of course, there's an odor to these yeah. bills that he notices. And now it's it's fucking on, um, and I, I started when I was thinking when I was watching the scene I'm like, do I believe that that Loy Cannon could be fooled by this guy? And I I kind of think he would, right? Like, why would he? Why would he suspect that the mild mannered funeral parlor guy? Yeah, pulled a heist to rob him and then pay him with his own bills, you know? If he
0: had, it would be a more effective bluff than like the the italians hiring a couple of bonnies to go True. knock off his, his off shop right yeah 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 it it'd be even a more convincing plot so like yeah I, I don't know i i think i think it definitely works um i think chris rock is great in this scene um it's everything he needs to be and i i kept expecting during the next scene where he goes to his family and tells them what happened for that The action to happen right there, right then and there. And we're not we're not actually out of that scene yet. You know, we could pick up right where we left off next episode uh, Mm -hmm. and they could bust in the door and they could, you know, corner him and beat him and get the information out of him about Zalmer and where she's staying and go after her. I expect all that shit to happen uh, in next episode. But it it just like that entire scene. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is ominous because Loy has figured
1: out what's up. Yeah, and it's it's, it's so great because you can see the wheel spinning. Because he is, he's like a high alert yeah. and paranoid as hell. And he's just like, you know, you can just kind of like with Timothy the Oliphant, you can see the tumbler spinning behind the eyes when he's like calculating all the angles of uh, the Brill story and the, her combination of her sister. And then he's like, you know, well, okay, whatever. And then Thurban comes home. He s- tries to sweep De Brill off her feet, you know, saying he solved all the family's problems. Uh, swears on a stack of Bible. It's sigh a re- sigh of relief. A clock here in the old smutney household. But then the Brill quickly finds out where the hell did you get this money? Where is my sister? What did you do? Yeah. Um, her her. What wheels and gears start turning? Right. What does she do? Is there any way she can get in front of this train wreck? No. Like he like says, I, I, it's already done. Whatever I did, it's already done. Uh, the only thing she can do is show up at Loy's place and just fall on his knee, her knees and be like, look, my sister busted out of jail. She got this crazy notion I needed help with the situation. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. This was like, you know, like, like I essentially do the same thing with Chris Rock that she did with Timothy Oliphant, and just like you know, come as clean as you can on this business. My husband's an idiot. You know, this, we all know this. Give up like
0: Zalmer's location. I, yeah, it's, hmm. I don't know. She's going to have a real loyalty check here. You know, is she, and and, you know, we've seen that she's got problems with her sister in the first place, right? There's a lot of trouble that her sister brings along and right. She may feel like, okay, enough is enough. Um, I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let this, haunt my family for the rest of eternity uh maybe we
1: can nip it in the bud here by just letting Loy have zomir yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how this like what is the you know the thing is is like um when the ghost first reared his like noseless head i was annoyed because i'm like god this is such a great gangster film yeah i need it to do i need it to turn into like some kind of tales from the crypt thing but I don't know. It just depends because like I, that's my my question is like, well, how will the ghost factor in like mm. the, the the them just being haunted is not interesting into itself. It's like, what role will the ghost play or what role will this haunting play or the mental illness play? Like, what does it have to do with the plot? And I guess I'm going to like, you know, as long as they don't half ass the gangster stuff by, you know, like there, the, there's something kicking back my head. Um, in the context of the UFO in season two is like, you know, we think that this ghost is a bad thing. What if it's more of like a guardian type spirit? Got me started thinking like last year for the spooktacular, me and Cecily uh, watched one of this, this, this movie is this Mexican ghost story called tigers are not afraid. And it's about these little kids like, you know, know, they're, they're orphans of the drug war and they're just kind of living as homeless street urchins and they kind of band together and they're, they're haunted by these supernatural things throughout the whole movie. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but the ghosts are not what you think they are. The ghosts are not like scary. They're more protective. It's it's kind of like this you see this in like what lies beneath where you think this ghost is a scary thing, but it ends up saving the main protagonist. I wonder if they're going to they're going to swing it that way. You know, that like this is actually some kind of protector figure and, and how to, what do what you feel about a ghost settling, you know, like, oh my god, the smutneys are helpless, they have no defense against the gangsters, and Calmida gets his neck broke by some fucking ghost or gets scared by the ghost and falls backwards down the stairs or some shit like that. Will that feel yeah. legit or that feel like you got you got robbed of a satisfying conclusion to a gangland hit?
0: Probably more the latter, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, in but that we, exact I scenario, brace, but we need to brace ourselves for it because that's essentially yeah. what I felt for season two, which was an otherwise remarkable season. And like when a gun gunfight gets gets resolved by UFO ex machina. uh, it it, left Well, us that's our... the real problem
0: with that. Right. It is the ex machina. It's it's the thing that just shows up and you couldn't have seen it coming. And it's it just blows everything up. But here they've gotten to it so early. Right. Yeah. We're not even halfway through the season, and already they've almost fully integrated this ghost story into the, the gang war. I'm hopeful that they have bigger plans for it, um, or mm-hmm. if they don't, that they won't let it become an Ex Machina at the end. Uh, that just kind of resolves whatever situation they needed to.
1: All right, well... That's exactly what I that's that's my thoughts exactly. And that's kind of the end of the episode. Did you have any other points that you want to consider? Should we get right to feedback? Oh, let's go into feedback.
0: Since the dawn of time, we've been putting
1: clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And while Bald move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com,
0: you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts,
1: or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping.
0: try to make it super easy to support making podcasts
1: at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these,
0: and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate
1: it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Feedback. You can send us feedback at, fargo at baldmove.com. Several people took us up on that proposition. Let's get started. Texas Sandman says, Jack Black Circa Nacho Libre.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't be the only one thinking this, even his speaking cadence and the voice rings out. He's talking about Gaetano here. I should have preferenced that. This is probably a subject line thing. Gaetano is Jack Black. Sure. Uh, e- but I- even a speaking ki- I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, go go ahead. Sorry.
1: Let me try let me tr- Let me take this all over. Texas Sandman sends us in a message. Gaetano is Jack Black. Specifically, Jack Black circa Nacho Libre. I can't be the only one thinking this, even his speaking cadence and voice rings out as Nacho Libre era Jack Black to me. I think they missed a real opportunity here to have the comedy trifecta with Rock, Schwartzman and Black. Um, That actually would be kind of cool. Not going to lie to have all three of the kind of heads of the crime family bosses be like well-known comics. That would actually be or come. Schwartzman's not necessarily a well-known comic, but he's definitely more known for comic roles than oh, he yeah. is for for serious shit um, the, the thing I saw on Reddit uh, which
0: I now can't get out of my mind is not only is he Jack Black in Nacho Libre but he's also uh got a little bit of private pile from Full Metal Jacket in him like, oh my if, god if you see him yeah. like,
1: at the very end of his story yeah cleaning cleaning guns in the barracks kind of you know, uh-huh. maniacal yeah, yeah it's the combination of the that. two uh, so, yeah, you're not the only one thinking on the, the that wavelength, Texas. Yeah. Uh, love the show and the coverage. Can't believe it's been three years since we had some Fargo in our lives. Keep up the good work. Me either. And appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Joe, from our old hometown, Jim, of Indianapolis. You guys have mentioned a few times that you're unsure whether Fada meant for Orietta to kill his father or not. I thought about writing in to clear this up at the last episode. But then Aaron expressed again. On the episode forecast, he wasn't sure. I thought I'd go ahead and try to clear this up. Josto absolutely did not mean for Nurse Fada to kill his father. When Josto and Orietta first meet, if you pay close attention to the dialogue, they did a very good job of setting this up. Josto remarks to Orietta that she talks funny and uses big words. Orietta responds by saying, Well, I found in my 36 years on God's green earth that it's absolutely critical to be precise in your use of language so as devoid uh, instances of misreckoning. Josto then fails to be precise in his use of language when he tells her he's in a lot of pain. I don't like to see him like that. Will you take care of him? Which Nurse is Mayweather then the Italian gangster code, right? Well, that's where I'm going to get to the Yeah. Okay. Nurse Mayweather then misreckons that he's ask, uh, asking of her and incorrectly assumes he's asking her to end his father's suffering. She says, I shall attend to him faithfully until the Lord arrives, which Jostow in turn misinterprets as him looking after him. Dick Dyer exchanged an example uh, as, a, as a, just an instance of misreckoning uh, that Orietta warned him of moments before. Um, so, like, you're not wrong, but like, I, I think the thing that you're missing, or maybe I'm just really obtuse, is that this works the opposite way, too. It does. Where she says, Well, I don't don't make take care to use your words right so I don't misreckon. He says very clearly, I don't like to see my father take. And she nods and says, "I'll like." Right, it he literally that, works both ways. And at what point does Josto ever express dismay or anything? But like, this is the thing he wanted to happen. Yeah, he sits in his father's chair, has a fucking orgasm. He manifestly is ready to take over the thing. I don't think he has a lot of respect for the way his father is doing business. The whole fart scene, like, there's no sorrow or sadness or anything. I, 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 am, I am I being? Am I being obtuse here, Jim? No, you're not. The whole thing is
0: designed uh, for people to misunderstand it. Uh, the misreckoning is happening with us as an audience, I feel, because the show is encouraging that. Like Because Justo is also shown to be somewhat of a buffoon, um, y- You know, a guy who wants Donatello out of the way, but also uh, might just misspeak and might not understand that he's saying a thing that is very much in the lexicon of of Italian gangsters. The hey, go kill this guy, right? Like, oh, it's, yeah. you know, th- th- you walk into a shop, hey, what are the- you got? A nice shop here. Be ashamed if
1: something were to happen to it. That's sure. code, right? Like, yeah, and- who's going to say, man, this senator's a pain in my ass? Who's is? is if only somebody could make that go away. Some could do the thing. Did you do that thing with the guy? Yeah, I right did the thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the the show
0: is leaning into that heavily. Uh, yeah. While also telling us that you got to be precise, and there's misreckonings, but the Italians yeah. are never precise in their language because they're trying to hide
1: things. Like, right? That's the, the whole the shell pretend game.
0: war, and it's it's all it's all supposed to be very confusing. Um, yeah. And so, I think any interpretation of of this scene is open.
1: Yeah, and I and I, I to me, that's the thing. Is like I, I I didn't I. I it's not that I didn't get all that was happening. It's more of like to me that put it firmly in the land of ambiguity. Especially, you know, if Josta was like really like, oh my god, I thought my dad was out. You know, like I, it's like a a BB taking him out. That's crazy. Like I can't believe this has happened. What is the family going to do? But it almost seemed like it was part of a plan. But then also he doesn't remember because he's so high on drugs. He doesn't even <laughs> right. know that she's that he owes her a favor for this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. anyway. But I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the chance of this to have the fuller discussion, Joe. Uh, Eric H., hey, guys, love your work and analysis on some of my favorite shows. Thank you. Thanks. I know you mentioned that a former Mormon, a FOMO, already wrote in to confirm <laughs> the gist of Deffy's character in the Missouri uh, history, but even before then, I, also a FOMO, was jolted by an odd Mormonism connection with Dr. Senator's name. There's a peripheral character in Mormon history named Dr. Philastus Hurlbut. And okay. this is not doctor as in a medical doctor or a philosophy doctor. His first name's actually doctor, just like Doctor Senator. That should be want to make that clear. Just okay. want to make that clear. Yeah, it's like fraud. <laughs> yeah, it's like it really it's like is called like senior engineer Jim Jones. Like yeah. that's a slick trick that your mom uh, pulled, wanting to get you a leg up. <laughs> on Vice your President worker, Jim. Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She had a ceiling for you. It's a high ceiling, but it was definitely a ceiling. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, this Dr. Philastius Hurlbut is best known for being excommunicated by Joseph Smith for sexual impropriety. Something that apparently uh, Joseph Smith himself was acquainted with Uh, and then collecting affidavits of witnesses who claim the Book of Mormon was then taken from a work by Solomon Spaulding and allegedly selling the copy of Spaulding's originally manuscript to the church. This is like a, a lot of juicy FOMO gossip here. The speculation is that Hurlbut was in was on to Smith's chicanery and excommunication was an act of removing a critic and painting him as a heretic so that his later accusations would be discredited by believers, which they mostly were. Would you believe me if I tell you there was an interesting pal- parallel experience in my former religion, uh the, the infamous purge after the death of uh, one Charles Taze Russell and mm-hmm. a takeover by uh no, it was Charles, yeah, Charles Taze Russell and then uh, judge just Rutherford took over yes. and liquidated all of his rivals in a similar fashion. Um, he includes a Wikipedia part, uh, article for Dr. Philastius Hurlbut and says, Not sure if there's any bearing whatsoever on Fargo Season 4, but it's the only example I've ever heard of of someone being named Doctor in this way. And then to find out there's a prominent Mormon character in a state with a long-standing assassinating Mormon orders makes me wonder if Haldi might be sprinkling other Mormon references in there for some other reason. He uh, gives us another free one. Lemuel is also a notable character in the Book of Mormon, one of the wicked brothers of the righteously arrogant Nephi. Hmm. So, I, I guess we need to be on the lookout for other, uh, you know, uh, Mormon historical facts and, and clues and and connections there. Lemuel so, is uh,
0: Loy's son, right? Which would make his brother son. Satchel. Uh, mm-hmm. The righteous brother
1: might be Satchel. I don't know. Hmm. Ah, uh, interesting. So let's uh let's uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for sending that in. I hadn't obviously I had no idea about that. And uh, let's move on to Paul he says uh I'm a baseball fan. I want to point out an interesting detail that I saw or rather heard in season four, episode three. In the scene where rabbi and Satchel are hanging out immediately before rabbi is ordered to come along for the assassination. Marco, uh, <laughs> you want you want to come on, the polo, Jim. didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, you left me hanging with the polo. I'm not in a pool. I can't get out of the pool. I'm not thinking in those (laughs) dynamics. There's there's a baseball game on the radio in the background of the scene It is from the Kansas City Monarchs. The Monarchs were a very prominent Negro League baseball team, which continued operation well after Jackie Robinson and Larry Dobby broke the National League and American League's color barriers in 1947.
0: Weren't they the the female team and like field of dreams or some shit? (laughs) also
1: <laughs> the the league of our own you're of, referring yeah to? yeah uh that's a whole other different barrier that's a sexual gender uh, barrier okay we're talking racial barriers here uh while it might be a random choice i think there's some nice symbolism in it satchel and rabbi are outcasts within their crime family and it makes sense that they'd follow a baseball team that's made out of outcasts of the more mainstream leagues uh to clarify i'm not diminishing the quality. yeah I, yeah we're, this isn't about this isn't about any kind of this is we're just talking about his his historical how these things were viewed yeah i'd also suggest that maybe um satchel or maybe Lloyd Cannon uh would be more highly prized even if there is a a mixed league getting play like the the og negro league maybe he would um you know them doing their own thing would be appealing to that family for that reason too and and in, and in, 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 indeed paul continues um Bob Kendrick, a prominent Negro league historian, always says the philosophy of the league was that we'll do it ourselves, and through hard work and determination, a lot of black players and owners found success while blazing their own trail in their own leagues. I think that has a lot in common with the cannon gangs mindset and way of doing things as evidenced by them banking for the black community and innovative things like credit cards um I think it's kind of interesting, and I might be getting myself into hot hot water here because this isn't stuff that I've like vetted publicly um. But I've heard a lot of, like, in in black academia, this uh, notion that, like, not that segregation was good, but the way that we ended desegregation was net bad for African-Americans for this reason. When things were segregated, you had an entirely parallel economy. You had black banks. You had black schools. You had black department stores. You had black grocery stores. You had black Everything. Black Wall Street. Um, you had and, and and within this parallel economy, uh, black families could could uh, live their version of the American dream. They could become wealthy, start a business, um, own land, do all these things. When segregation was ended, it was in such a way that like, you know we got rid of like when when they were deciding which schools to close are gonna oh gee, whiz are we gonna close are we gonna close the white school? Are we gonna close the black school? Well, obviously we're gonna close the black school. Um. Okay. Which teachers are we going to maintain? Are we going to keep the black teachers, or we're we going to teach, we keep the white teachers? Um. When when uh, black people had access to larger financial institutions, white financial institutions, um, they chose those over to black. So it like it kind of like destroyed this parallel economy, and now. Um, instead of being able to succeed in that parallel economy, they uh, uh, a lot of times blacks were left to flounder within this integrated system. And by the way, when they kept the white schools and the white teachers, and the black kids are going to that, a lot of those white teachers from segregated school system they're racist as fuck. Mm-hmm. So like this, is this, this this like this idea that when we ended segregation and the Jim Crow, like everything was just magically hey you're equal by in the eyes of the law didn't actually work out that way in practice. And I wonder in in kind of like similarities again i'm not saying segregation was good okay yeah um I just want to make that clear but like i wonder if this dovetails in paul's comments to where like i could see a guy like Loy being excited about these parallel opportunities and yet also wanting to get into those bigger white markets too
0: sure yeah that makes so. a lot of sense i i also yeah. wonder if uh you know he could be he's got a lot of uh operations you know, could he be sort of putting pressure on maybe the Monarchs team? Maybe he's got interest in the Monarchs because he's got a guy throwing games or something. You oh, know? shit. He's shaving he, points. I oh, mean, let's man. not forget, you know, they're, they're not just them, black. Yeah. They're also the mafia. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing criminal <laughs> shit. It's, right. not, it's not prejudiced or racist to say that these gangsters are doing gangster shit. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's interesting, and they are running. They are running a numbers game and and uh, betting and stuff. You see the big board there where the tracking yeah. bets and stuff. Um, another parallel economy that's happening, the yeah. alternate economy, as they mentioned. Um, okay, F- finishing up. Dave has uh his two cents. The Bald Move Fargo podcast was my introduction to Bald Move. I started watching season one of Fargo in uh 2015 and went looking for some commentary and came across your Fargo podcast. Well congratulations for coming through the cramped and narrow door. (laughs) I was going to say you and exactly eight other people. Yeah. This is one of our, this is one of our famously smaller shows, but I fucking love it. And it tickles me to death that, you know, we've had such a a long-term fan and supporter out of it. So thanks for validating us picking up this small show, Dave. (laughs) He says, I agree that Satchel Loy Cannon's son is probably going to change his name to become Mike Milligan. Alternately Satchel. Does that sound like a name or is that like a nickname? Sounds like a nickname to me. Like, I, I feel like that we're going to find out by the end of this season that, you know, Mike is his first given name, you know? And Could the be. dates line up beautifully. You take this kid, what is he, eight, nine years old, mm-hmm. 1950s, season two of uh, Fargo takes place in 79. It'd make Mike Milligan somewhere between 37, 30. It's per, it line it fucking lines up perfectly. Yeah. Lines up perfectly. Uh, B says, I agree that, uh, Loy Cannon's son's going to be revealed to be Mike Milligan. I'd rather they hint at it now rather than force it at the end of the season, which they have done in the past at this sort of thing before. And I agree. I do feel like they're setting up all the tracks for this. Um,. It wouldn't surprise me if Satchel Slash Mike turns on his father, as did Rabbi Milligan uh, before him, and instead pledges his loyalty to Rabbi Milligan. Previous seasons of Fargo always seem to involve um, some sort of war that decimates a criminal gang or two. Wouldn't surprise me if that happens here. We we talked about this a little bit last week. Like, my thought is the cannons are just going to be the gang that wins, right? Um, yeah. But... It is possible that like both of these gangs take each other out and a new gang is formed, you know, answering the question of what is it mean to be an American like this Irish quasi Jewish person and black person like start up a whole other gang in Kansas City becoming a Kansas. I think that would be cool. Mm hmm. Um, I don't like the idea of Satchel betraying his father. Like they'd have to do a lot of fucking work because, for all accounts, like you know, Loy seems like the definition of a tough but fair kind of dad. You know, like he doesn't talk down to his sons. He does expect them to to play the role, which is a little a little bit of friction. But I, I like it. It, yeah. it seems like it's a great relationship. I you got one who's who's rebelling.
0: I have to imagine he was raised in a similar fashion, but one is is very much not wanting that life. I, but rebellion in a you way of like, out, like yeah, you don't get out like, of that life um and
1: betray your family and then start up another gang, right? Well, I mean uh, like that's a that's literally Michael Corleone's story, right? Like I love my family very much, but like I don't want to do this criminal shit. I want to be a legit American. Look at me. I'm the war hero. I'm the poster boy. I'm the civilian. Mm-hmm. And yet he ends up being they pull him the most can. fucking Corleone of any Corleone, right? Right. Like, it would be interesting if Satchel's kind of... Well, so Lemuel's kind of that way. Like, you know, he's turning his back on his family. Not exactly turning his back on his family, he just has a disagreement with the old man about how things should be. Yeah. And that didn't make Michael Corleone an outcast by his family by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Do- we're Doing a lot of viewing this stuff through the lens of Godfather, but what the hell? It's like... Of course. You view a lot of fantasy through the lens of J.R.R. Tolkien, because what the fuck are you going to do? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> he, yeah. he made the genre. So, um, Anyway, I want to move on from that to uh, Dave's la- other points. Did you notice the use of the word rumpus in episode two? They didn't say what's the rumpus as in Miller Crossing, but it certainly jumped out. To me, as uh, I was looking for something to hint at that film, which is still my favorite Coen Brothers movie, *Miller's Crossing* is great. *Miller's Crossing* is a hell of a gangster film in its own right. If you haven't seen it, you really should. Um, I haven't. There's nothing quite like it in the uh, Coen Brothers milieu, in my opinion. Um, and I, I do I love how they sprinkle those odd Conanisms throughout the the series. I also like the music this season, but the change gives the story a very different feel. The first few seasons have their each own individual flavor, but they feel like close cousins or even siblings of the Fargo movie. This one feels like a distant relative, at least so far. The fact that the main character this season isn't a police officer probably has a lot to do with that, too. That's a good Mm -hmm. point. I didn't realize that, but this is. Yeah, I mean, weff is not a main character. He's like a B. He's like a tier two character at
0: best. Oh, yeah. I don't even know that this season has a main character. I think this season has
1: several main characters. The closest I think they come to having a character of the POV has got to be uh Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause cause she's she got gets the, the narration. narration. Yeah. 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 So, like, I, I think if that's that's the most main character, but she's also been a very uh, backseat main main characters thus far. Like for the, sure. The action certainly hasn't revolved around her. Except for maybe with m Yeah, I, I think you could defend that by the end of the season. We'll see how it goes. But uh he closes looking forward to the rest of your coverage of the season. Thanks, Dave. Uh we are too. Hope you can contribute again someday. Uh that's all the email we have. That's all the points we have to consider for the feedback. The feedback, the feed the feed, the, the mailbag, feedback, mailbag. There, got it out in three. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week with the next episode of Fargo which I am looking forward to looking forward to see how ghosty things get this year yeah feels appropriate the month of October uh, we just spooked up our house this, this this weekend and Fargo spooked up their episodes it's just, it's just time for it right sure uh, but we'll be back next week and until then uh, get all that feedback into Fargo at BaldMove.com you can also go to our forums at forums.BaldMove.com uh, we'll be back next week and until then I'm your host Aaron, and I'm Jim see ya